Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Great to see you here this morning. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at New King Church, and uh, I'm the old guy. All the other guys are young and cool, and, uh, but I don't tuck my shirt in, so I'm kind of cool, right? I got my Vans on today, so I'm kind of cool, right? It's my, it's my pleasure to start this letter of Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. If you're visiting today, we preach through books of Scripture, That is our practice, that is our tradition. The reason that we do that, for example, Paul's letter to Timothy, he wrote a letter. When you get a letter from somebody, does anybody ever get letters anymore? Email maybe? (laughs) Do you just read a piece of it? No, you read the whole thing. It was meant to be done as whole. Secondly, it forces me and you to deal with passages that we may not want to deal with. Hard passages, difficult passages, passages that we may have struggled with and may not understand. Man, they're coming up. We got to figure it out together. And so that's healthy. And that's good. So today we're going to start this letter of Paul to 2 Timothy, and over the last six weeks, while we did our Advent series, I have immersed myself in 2 Timothy. I have read it at least once, if not twice a day. I have read commentaries. I have prayed about it. I have tried to figure out in my mind what is 2 Timothy about what are the themes what are the ideas what are the patterns what is it about what do we need to know to start so my sermon this morning is going to be in three parts part one i'm going to give you an overview of second timothy and if you have a bible Open it up. If you don't have a Bible, there's a stack of them on the back. Please get one so you can see 
what's happening. So feel free to go up and get one. Uh, just grab one. If you don't see it, you're going to miss it, and it's harder on a phone. I was talking about a phone last week and about how you can only see three verses on your phone, and somebody talked to me afterwards and said, dude, how old are you? I can see 20 verses on my phone, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I got to make it big. I get it. I get it. I could take it. So I'm going to give you an overview of the themes of 1 Timothy. Then I'm going to give you a short exposition of the first five verses that Grace read for us. And then at the end, I'm going to tell you a story. A very, very personal story about myself. A very emotional story about something that happened to me two years ago that I've never shared with anybody here. Only my wife knows it. Only my immediate family knows it. It's a miraculous story about how God works. And I've been saving it for two years. Today's the day. You're going to hear it. So will you pray with me as we start? And, and, and listen, please, I need help. I need God's mercy this morning to help me to get through this. Don't just close your eyes and think about what you had for breakfast or what you're going to have for lunch. Pray with me. Will you do that? Father God, help me to give this message this morning from this ancient book, this letter of a father to a son. Father, help us. We ask for your mercy that we would hear the message of Second Timothy and that it would change us. Father, by your Holy Spirit, I pray you would apply the Spirit to all of our hearts this morning and that we would go from this place, change people. I ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what is Second Timothy about? I'm going to tell you three things. Number one, Paul's situation. Secondly, I am going to tell you about the church's condition. And then, I'm going to tell you what Paul says to do about it. Paul's situation, the church's condition, and what to do. So, what was Paul's situation? What was the setting of the letter? Paul was an old man at this time, about 60. I'm glad there's a smile because I'm older than 60. In those days, he was an old man. He was about 60. And uh, he was at the end of his life. And he was facing death. Where was he? Was he at his condo, on the edge of the golf course, (laughs) relaxing? Was he on a beach somewhere, enjoying the warm weather? Paul was in prison. If you have your Bible, I'm going to refer to a couple of verses to show you these patterns, to show you what comes up again and again and again. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. His prisoner. So it comes right up in the first section. 
Now, when I was a young man a thousand years ago, a young Christian, I remember reading the Bible for the first time and going in the New Testament, and uh, I saw these phrases. Paul says, uh, I'm, I'm the prisoner of the Lord. And I didn't know what it meant, to be honest with you. I thought maybe it was a metaphor that when you come to Jesus, it's like God, Jesus wraps himself around you and ties you up in a way that you're now bound to him in some way. But that's not what it means. Paul was in a Roman prison. He was bound in chains. And he was awaiting execution. Now, when you hear that, you now get a better idea of how to understand this letter. If you were in that situation, what would you write? A little further on in chapter uh, 1 in verse 16, Paul says, um, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So there it is a second time. Chapter 2, verse 9. Paul says, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. And then down, finally, down at the, at the last chapter, this is only four chapters, this little letter. At the end, he says in verse 6 of chapter 4, I am ready, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul doesn't let his situation stop him. In fact, one of the things that kind of blows my mind is to ask the question, who is keeping Paul prisoner? That question occur to you? It was the Roman government, yeah? They were the ones that chained him. They were the ones that were going to execute him. But what does Paul say? The prisoner of the Lord. Can you have that perspective today? Can you? I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what difficulties you're facing. Paul says, I take it from the Lord. And I write a letter. An emotional letter, a heartfelt letter. As I await death in chains and in prison. So that's the first thing. That's Paul's situation. And it goes on a little more. One of the other themes that comes up over and over again is Paul has feelings, emotions of loneliness and betrayal. How about that? Chapter 1, verse 4, he writes to Timothy, he says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you. You feel it? I long to see you, my son, in the faith. 
And then chapter 1, verse 15, you were aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. They left him. They betrayed him. And Paul feels it. Chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says to Timothy again, do your best to come to me. Soon. Please come. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Why Luke? Do you know about the history of Paul? Do you know what he went through as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus? Do you know how many times he was beaten with rods? Do you know how many times he was cast out? Do you know how many times his body, he was a living wreck of a person. And he was at the end of his life in a cold prison. And Luke is there, the physician. Does that not touch you? Only Luke is here. Chapter 4, verse 14. Paul says, Alexander, the coppersmith, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed the message. It's not an easy life. The Christian life is not an easy life. There are those that disappoint us within the church. There are those that betray us within the church. And Paul feels it. And maybe this morning some of you feel it. You've been hurt. You're here this morning and all you want to do is hear a positive message and this guy's talking about hurt and betrayal. Well, maybe that's where you are. Stick it out for the next 30 minutes. I've got more to say. So that's the situation. Paul is in prison. He has feelings of loneliness and betrayal. Now what about the church? The church comes up over and over and over. And I want to tell you a couple things about the church. The church's condition. The church, not the world. Paul is talking about the church here. Evil and false teachers are on the rise. And it results in three things. Shame, suffering, and persecution. Some of that you've already heard already. These are the things that come up again and again and again in this letter that Paul writes to Timothy. So, first of all, the rise of evil in the church. Have a look, if you will, at chapter 2, verse 16. Paul says, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Gangrene is a horrible disease to get 
It is a bacterial infection that rots the flesh and causes death. And Paul says this teaching is causing death within the church. Their talk will spread like gangrene. And then a little further, uh, in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some from dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses him from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel that will be for honorable use. So the church, if you remember how Paul described the church in 1 Timothy, he talked about the house of the living God a pillar and buttress of the truth. And now he says the church is becoming a great house with all kinds of people in it, some that are honorable, some that are dishonorable. That's the church. And then we come to chapter 3, where Paul lists 19 terms that describe some people. Listen to this. He says, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Know this, we are living in the last days. Paul was living in the last days. The last days embrace the time from the beginning of the church age until the Lord comes. That's the last days. For people, get this list, all right? I I hate to drag you all down to hear it all, but I want you to just hear it And then think about the day that we live in. Part of understanding as a Christian is to know the day that you're living in, to understand it. And when you can understand it, you can do something about it. So Paul says this. People will be lovers of self. (sighs) Oh my. Has there ever been a day like this? Lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant, abusive, disobedient parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Let me talk about that one just for a second. Unappeasable. I had a conversation with someone uh, a while back, and uh, a wrong had been done. And uh, the person said, there's no way that I can forgive. I don't want forgiveness. I don't want reconciliation. I don't want them to talk to me. I just want them out of my life. And it was a, it was a small thing. <laughs> I, I, I will not accept their apology. I don't want anything done on my behalf to make it up to me. I'm done. Unappeasable. We see this all around us where apologies are not accepted. Forgiveness is not the goal, but a cutting off in judgment and anger. That's what we see. Unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. 
What does the church look like? This is not the world he's talking about. You understand? Chapter 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Now, sound. I talked about that a lot when we were back in 1 Timothy. Sound, the idea of healthy teaching. Teaching that causes you to flourish is what that means. Sound teaching is healthy teaching. You come away and you feel like I've been revitalized. I have life in me. Not gangrene. Not a rotting that spreads from person to person and drags you down, but uplifts you. And be patient. I will uplift you. I know this is a little hard to hear. Do you feel it in the day we live in? Do you see it? Paul says in verse 4, they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. I don't know about you. I long for the truth of God's word. My heart... I want it. Why do I throw myself into 2 Timothy these last few weeks? Because I want to know what God has to say so I can hear it and I can live accordingly. I want the truth. I don't want lies and myths. And how does this make us feel? Okay, so there's, there's this rise of evil in the church. There's three results. The first is shame. I can't. T- it comes up over and over in this little letter. Paul says in, in chapter 1, verse, a verse I already read, uh, maybe starting in verse 7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed. Chapter 1, verse 12 But I am not ashamed, Paul says, for I know whom I have believed. There's the secret. Chapter 1, verse 16, talking about Onesiphorus. He often refreshed me. Remember I read this? He was not ashamed of my chains. Chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Maybe as I read that description from 2 Timothy 3, you felt some shame about the church. We can't help it. We have messed up, my brothers and sisters. We have not done things properly. We have made mistake after mistake after mistake. We need to recognize it. Not to drag us down, but to not do it again and move on. This is what God wants for us. Maybe you're here today and feel some of that shame. Second Timothy's for you. And then suffering and persecution. It's all through this letter. Let me just summarize with chapter 2, verse 3 
and for. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And a little further down, chapter 2, uh, verse, or chapter 3, verse 11 and, and 12, Paul says, he's talking about um, the persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord reckoned, uh, rescued me. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be prospered and blessed and have a big bank account and live in a really nice house. No. No, persecution. Yeah? You will be persecuted. That's what it says. Verse 4, chapter 5. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I don't know where we're headed as a country, as a state, as a city. There are more Christians today on this planet that are being persecuted and are suffering for the name of Jesus than ever before. Do you feel it? Do you feel a little bit of the rise? I don't know where we're going. But 2 Timothy is a word for us today. So, Time is good. What do we do about it? <laughs> what do we do? I've dragged you all down into the depths of despair. You're now like, man, I cannot wait to get out of this new king church. I thought I was going to come and get blessed, but man, this guy is just dragging me down. What do we do? That's the beauty of Second Timothy. It doesn't leave us hanging. Past, present, and future the past, be reminded of God's faithfulness to you. The first five verses, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, are all about remembrance and being reminded about what God has done in the past. It has unbelievable power for the present, if you understand me. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, Remember Jesus. Man, if that's not powerful, I don't know what is. Remember Jesus. So I'm going to get to that in a moment. So the past, how we remember and how we see God's past work in our lives is absolutely vital to how we live in the present. And what about the present? What does Timothy, what does Paul tell Timothy to say and to do about the present? Now here's the core of 2 Timothy. Utilize the word of God. There's a lot of work to do. Every single chapter has verses about God's word and what to do with it. Let me show you. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Follow the pattern, guard the deposit. The doctrine of the gospel of Jesus is what he's talking about. This is the deposit that Timothy has. Paul says, follow it 
and guard it because the days are evil. So that's the first thing. Follow it and guard it. And then chapter 2, verse 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. Take the good word that you have been taught, pass it on to others who will in turn pass it on to other people. We make disciples here. This is what New King is all about. Helping people find and follow Jesus. Find him through the gospel, then follow him as a disciple, and then make more disciples. Again and again and again and again. That's what we're about. Paul says, take this teaching, teach other people so they in turn can teach others. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, verse 9, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. God is powerful. His word is powerful. Chapter 2, verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need of being ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Then chapter 3, verse 15. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The word makes you wise to salvation through faith. We hear the word of God. We believe it. Our lives are transformed. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That, we could preach a whole sermon on that, as you probably know. The use of the word of God today. And then finally, I just want to point out chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Second Timothy is all about the church is a mess. We're discouraged. We remember the past and how God has worked. We remember his promises and we use the word in our life. We preach it. We study it. We keep it, we guard it, we hold it, we pass it on. That's what we do today. That's what we do. Now, what about the future? We long for the day. You know what that means? Chapter 1, verse 10. Which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Life 
and immortality. What was Paul's situation? He was facing execution. He was going to die very soon. It was going to happen almost any day. And what does he say? I know that Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Chapter 1 or chapter 2 has uh, an unbelievable little poem in it, a little song. The saying is trustworthy in 11. If we have died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we die with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign. See, Paul is pointing to that future day. Chapter 4, verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. Do you long for the appearing of Jesus? Do you love the appearing of Jesus? Do you think about the appearing of Jesus? This day that, that Paul is talking about where Jesus will appear is when Jesus will come back and we will see him as he truly is in glory. Do you remember the, the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, Paul, and John, they were taken off, and Jesus, for a moment, the veil of his humanity was taken away, and they saw him shining like the sun? That is the day that this is talking about. We encourage ourselves. We energize ourselves, even though times are hard and difficult, by thinking of the day that Jesus will appear. And we will see him like he truly is. And we will be like him. We long for the day. So what's the summary of 2 Peter, or 2 Timothy? It's a very personal letter from a father to a son. Paul shares his affections, his discouragement, his suffering, his betrayals, his hopes, and his resources. In an evil day when the church is a mess, when we're persecuted, betrayed, and feeling all alone, we remember Jesus. We rely on his word. For there's much work to do because that's why we're left here. If I was to pick a summary verse... And man, I struggle with this. I've had about five of them so far. This morning, I'm going to pick this one. What do we do? What's 2 Timothy all about? Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, this is why I picked it. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge and the living of the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. This is the charge. This is what he's to do. He stands up and he says, "By, by everything I know, I charge you by Jesus 
his life and his death and everything else. Preach the word. My friends, my brothers and sisters, that's what we're here to do. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience and teaching. That's what we're to do. That's what 2 Timothy is all about. Okay, now, very quickly, look at chapter 1, the first five verses. Paul starts out with a salutation. He says, I'm an apostle uh, of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. A man facing execution, the first thing he says is there's a promise of life in Jesus. That's where my hope is. That's where I look. Then verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child. That's why I say he's a child. He's Paul's child of the faith. And Paul loves him and cares for him. Grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the next couple of verses, three to five, the language is all remembrance. Be reminded. Notice that. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. He thanks God. He talks about his ancestral faith and how it was passed down from generation to generation. And then he starts talking about his relationship with Timothy. He says, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. He prays for him. I started taking classes this fall, and uh, I'm on a track to uh, get a certificate in biblical counseling. And uh, I started my second course this week, and uh, yesterday I was listening to the lecture uh, online, and uh, the guy's name is Ed Welch, very famous biblical counselor, written books. He says, what does ministry look like? And he said, ministry looks like this. You engage people. You get into their lives, and you get to know them. And you pray for him. You engage and you pray. You engage and you pray. He told a story about meeting a, a very famous counselor some years ago. And uh, he says, well, what does your day look like? And he says, well, I, I, I take my, my meetings in 90-minute blocks. I meet with the person for, for 45 to 50 minutes. And he says, well, what do you do with the rest of the time? I pray for him. I take the promises of God from his word and I pray for him. Are you praying? Paul says, I prayed for Timothy night and day. Are you praying for people? There's absolute, utter power in prayer. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. I lo- oh, uh, as I remember your tears, Paul says in verse 4. Probably that happened when Paul left in Acts chapter 20. He had a little meeting with the Ephesian elders and they all prayed and and they all cried. There's a relationship. And then he talks about Timothy's faith. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure dwells in you also. 
He goes back to this faith and this faith heritage. And it says this faith dwelt in Lois and Eunice. The word dwelt means it lived. It was vital. It was alive. It was a living faith. And then Paul says, now I remind you in verse 6, fan into flame the gift of God. And he goes on. That's the beginning of First Timothy. It's emotional. It's about a relationship. It's about prayer. It's about a faith heritage. And now my story. I was born in a small town in Maine in the spring of the year. And the doctor said that uh, I was healthy but had a prominent nose. Can't deny that. My birth mother never saw me. In those days, uh, she was probably given a drug, and she had, uh, she had me, and um, I was put in a foster home. Nobody knows that now but you. And then I was put up for adoption after a few weeks. And uh, a childless couple in, in Bar Harbor, Maine, um, adopted me. And uh, they couldn't have children, and uh, they adopted me, and they raised me as their own. And uh, as a young man, they, they told me that I was adopted. And uh, they always said, they didn't want to hide it from me, and they always said, if you ever want to find your birth parents, we'll help you. And I, I just never did. From, I, I, I just never, I felt like they were my parents, and I would think about it from time to time. Often when, when, you know, it would come up, my parents would say, you know, if you're ever thinking about that, we'll help you. And it's like, no, you're my parents. They made decisions, and I'm good with it. I'm going I'm to just let that go. It's not something that I long for or think about very much. And then uh, I went off to college. And while I was in college, a pretty young lady asked me to go to a Bible study. And, of course, she was pretty, and I went. And I heard the word of God that night. And I trusted Jesus and I got saved. And of course, I married that young lady. (laughs) 40 years now we've been together. So then I thought, well, I know God likes to bless in families. I wonder if there's anybody on my mom's side or my father's side that's a Christian. And, uh, I looked around. My mom was one of nine. And there were some church-going people. And they were very nice. But there was, couldn't find anybody that was a follower of Jesus. I remember one cousin. He went off to the Peace Corps to Africa. And I thought, maybe him. I couldn't wait for him to get back. So he gets back, and I meet with him. And I say, tell me why you went. Tell me what it was all about. And it was a humanitarian effort. And it was all nice and fine. And he did, good, did a good thing. But... He wasn't a follower of Jesus. I thought, God, what? how come there's nobody in my whole extended family on either side that I can find that's a Christian, that's a follower and a lover of Jesus? I don't, I don't get it. And hey, if you're listening or you hear this and you're part of the Carter side or the Field side and you're a Christian and I don't know who you are, please reach out. I would be thrilled to meet you. And time went on and I had a family and then... Uh, Two years ago, two and a half years ago, my, my wife bought me uh, a little DNA kit. And I put my DNA into Ancestry.com. 
And immediately I had a cousin up in Maine in the same town I was born in. So I reached out to her, and she was wonderful. Turned out she was on my dad's side. The funny thing is, when I thought through things, I would often think about my mom and how hard it must have been. I never really thought much about my birth dad. I got her pregnant, and that was it. I don't know. I never really thought about him. So I meet this cousin and, and talk to her a little bit. And um, she says, I've got a really good friend who's in genealogy. She's a professional, and she can, she can help you. You want, me to, you want to call her? So I did. And she says, let me look into a few things. Let me see your DNA. Let me look into a th- few things. And uh, one evening, we were driving up to community group here in Burlington. And a text comes up, and, you know, we've got, of course, the fancy phone, and it reads it out. And it's from her. And she says, I know your father. Oh, I could have driven off the road. I almost did. I did drive off the road. I stopped. I, I was overcome with emotion. You know my father. I never thought about my father. Never gave him a second thought. Well, a few months went by, and that summer, summer of 2021, I went to my cousin's house. Her name is Trudy, and she's a wonderful woman. And she said, I'm going to arrange to have a few other cousins come to your house, and you can meet them. You can imagine what was going through my mind, how emotional and difficult it was, but also how exciting it was. So I show up, I walk into her living room, and these six people stand up, and Trudy says to me, there's your family. I cried. It was unexpected. So they began to tell stories about my dad. His name was Don, and and everybody loved Uncle Don. He was the life of the party. He had some issues in his life, but... He was the life of the party, and everybody loved him. And then at the end, I told a little bit about my life. I told about getting married and kids and work and all that stuff. And then one of my cousins said, Eric, tell us about your spiritual journey. And so I shared about my faith in Jesus told how I got saved, all the details about how God worked in my life for all this time. And I got down and I looked over at her and she said, yes, Eric. I'm a believer in Jesus. And I couldn't believe it. On my dad's side, what a surprise. I never thought even about my dad. And there is this person. And she said, I have a present for you. I said, a present? A valuable parting gift maybe to take with me on the road? What is this present? And she said, your dad... Uncle Donnie, the last couple years of his life, he started going to church. And the pastor of that church led him to Jesus. And he had alcohol problems, and he didn't treat people very well. And the last two years of his life, he tried to make things right. And he went back, and his life was changed. He was transformed, and he reconciled with people. And she looked at me, and she says, I know that he would have gone back to your birth mom and apologized. I know that he prayed for you. I know that when you get to heaven, you're going to see him. Why do I tell you this? God works 
in the most amazing ways in our lives. We have no idea. You see what I got in that living room that day was a taste of heaven. This is what heaven and being with Jesus on that day looks like. Every tear will be wiped, although I was crying like a baby. It will be a day of immense happiness and joy when we're with Jesus and we see the big picture. My brothers and sisters, you're part of the same story. You are part of the same story. God is working in you. God is working behind the scenes, and you have no idea what's happening. And there'll be a day that we, when we will, when we'll see it all, and every tear will be wiped, and we'll have joy in the Lord. I long for that day. Do you? In this world that we live in, which is such a wreck, and the church is a wreck, and our relationships are a wreck, and our family is a wreck, we have Jesus, <laughs> and we have the day to long for. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this letter to Second Timothy. I ask that you would help us just enjoy Jesus while we're left here. Help us to preach the word. Help us to encourage people. Help us to form good relationships. Help us to teach others. Help us to witness to others about the love of Jesus. Encourage us if we're discouraged. God, we don't even begin to see it all because you're in control. And we love you and we love your son, Jesus. Amen.